from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Nine uh, years? Story, yes, nine years. Waiting for uh, a trial? Waiting for the completion of their trial. Um, wow. Close to a decade. And, and, and these stories were horrible. We walked into a portion of the jail where someone was literally screaming that the CO was retaliating against them and they hadn't had access to their food for the day. And upon us walking into the room and hearing that, we saw a, a correctional officer take them a plate of food. Um, <laughs> no recreation. They're being maced. Their commissary is being charged for um, any sort of outline maintenance issues that happen in their cell. They don't have access to regular phones. Even the COVID practices are just really unacceptable. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last Saturday, St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones, Congresswoman Cori Bush, and a handful of other local leaders went to jail. Make that both jails. The city's new mayor said she wanted to see conditions at both the City Justice Center and the Medium Security Institution, better known as the Workhouse, for herself. At a post-visit press conference, Mayor Tashara Jones said this about what she observed. At the end of the day, people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. As the daughter of someone who was incarcerated, this is personal for me. This is someone's father, someone's mother, brother, what we learned today, grandfather. They, their rights aren't being respected or protected. We don't have all the answers today, but this is the first step to getting those answers. That is St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones. And there for the visit and the press conference was someone extremely invested in the issue of St. Louis's jails. Kayla Reed is the executive director and co-founder of Action St. Louis. She spent the last three years pushing the city to close the workhouse. And she joins us today. Kayla Reed, welcome back. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So, Kayla, you tweeted after your visit. This is a quote. I'm absolutely going to have nightmares about what I saw today. What did you see? Yeah, so on Saturday afternoon, um, we went to the City Justice Center. We spent about two and a half hours there, and we went to the Medium Security Institute, known as the Workhouse, for another um, close to two and a half hours. Um, what we saw, you know, at the first jail was sort of a curated tour by um, Commissioner Dale Glass. Um, we, we saw parts of the jail that were empty, the um, infirmary. Um, and we heard about their COVID protocols. But the part that is sticking with me um, was the conversations that we had with detainees, folks who are inside of the facility, and the, the common practices of abuse, um, violations of their human rights, neglect, um, and their experience. And, and we weren't talking about folks who have been there for a week or two, folks who have been there 18 months, 36 mm. months. We even talked to someone who's been there almost nine years. Nine uh, years? Yes, nine years. Waiting for uh, a trial? Waiting for the completion of their trial. Um, wow. Close to a decade. And, and, and these stories were horrible. You know, we, we walked into a portion of the jail 
where someone was literally screaming that the CO was retaliating against them and they hadn't had access to their food for the day. And upon us walking into the room and hearing that, we saw a, a correctional officer take them a plate of food. Um, folks who are overwhelmingly on no bond uh, and are experiencing regular patterns of abuse, whether that's um, no recreation, they're being maced, they're being charged um, commissary for, their commissary is being charged for um, any sort of outline maintenance issues that happen in their cell. They don't have access to regular phones. Even the COVID practices are just really unacceptable. Folks are given two masks a week. Um, testing is in, uh, inconsistent. They're not getting their results back. And we really heard from them what was leading up to the uprisings that we've been seeing over the last few months um, and what they wanted to see happen um, on a myriad of issues. So when we talk about these these uprisings, the unrest that has plagued particularly the City Justice Center, what, mm-hmm. what's your takeaway on what were the biggest causes of the people rising up in there? Yeah, so one of the, you know, one of the main drivers of this was COVID, that there were folks who were in a unit in the CJC um, that were not um, getting regular tests for COVID, and they were in the same cell block and cells as folks with COVID. And they essentially made this this particular cell block inside of the jail uh, a a COVID wing, but there were folks who did not have COVID, Mm. um, who were being constantly exposed to new folks who did. Uh, And the numbers range. And then when we ask, you know, the nurses or we ask uh, the commissioner or different um, facility managers, you know, what was the practice, um, their story was very, it was very different than the account that we heard. And so folks were concerned about their safetyhood, their lives, the symptoms. Um, And that's on top of the kind of daily uh, inhumane conditions that they're dealing with, where they're in a jail cell, you know, for 23 and a half hours out of the day. Um, They're they're not getting nutritious food. They're not getting access to uh, simple things like the law library, access to phones, seeing their families. And, And more than that, the structural issue that goes beyond both jails is that they're not they're not having their day in court. We're we're denying them the sort of um, right to a fair and speedy trial, where folks have been sitting for the last year because of COVID. But before that, they were sitting for months and months and months, and now it's turning into years. Uh, and so we we saw that this these uprisings were kind of an intersection of these immediate concerns for their well being and these longer structural um, problems within our criminal legal system. So we've been talking quite a bit about what caused um, the conditions that led to the uprisings at the the City Justice Center. You were also there at the workhouse. Are things as bad Mm -hmm. um, at the workhouse as they were in that downtown jail? You know, we've run the Close the Workhouse campaign now for about three years. Mm -hmm. And um, the stories are as terrible as the moments that immediately followed um, the protests that happened inside of uh, the workhouse in 2017. Mm-hmm. So we still, we saw for ourselves leaky roofs. We saw for ourselves, uh, clogged, you know, sinks and toilets. We walked into the infirmary, Sarah, and they had just mopped the floor. And then we were told by detainees that they were woken up the night before to do a deep clean of the facility mm-hmm. and it was still dirty. Um, and so, you know, we were watching, uh, it was hot in certain parts of the jail that it was humid um, where we were sweating and we were only inside um, certain parts for, you know, maybe 20 minutes. Um, 
and 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 moreover, we were we continue to hear these stories, these regular practices of abuse, where folks would um, folks would um, file a complaint, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a process where when someone files a complaint, that a correctional officer literally tells them whether or not their complaint is valid, and then they can file a longer form. And yeah. so, if if they were dealing with you know harassment. Um, and they were very afraid of retaliation after they spoke with us, that they felt that they were going to get red tagged um, and that they were going to be, you know, the target of, of continued abuses. Um, we heard folks who were experiencing regular macing, and there were no incident reports of this um, inside of the jail. And so truly, once they're behind those walls, it's just um, a secret society of regular uh, human rights violations. So these allegations of abuse, um, they were certainly ear-catching on Saturday when when the mayor mentioned them. And hearing you go more in-depth here today, that's very alarming. Do you know, are there any immediate plans to tackle that particular issue and say, hey, we we probably have some personnel here that that can't be trusted around these very people that we just uh, met? Yeah, so part of the, um, on the visit also was the, the interim public safety director, Dan Isom, mm-hmm. the circuit attorney was there, uh, and several other, other members of, of, of their staff. And, and I think that there are some immediate things that can happen to fix um, um, or to improve some of the conditions that we see, you know, around cleaning, uh, food, um, recreation, um, reporting, and, and incident reports, and just transparency. Um, it is it, it feels as if, though, under the last administration and the former public safety director, that regular reports were not being heard or taken seriously about what um, was facing, what is happening inside of these facilities. And we know this to be the case because when the uprisings happened, that's when the public found out about these locks. That's when the public found out about, you know, some of these conditions. And so folks have felt that the only way that they feel heard um, is to protest. Mm-hmm. And then they're being villainized. Um, and harmed, right, and abused in their pursuit to get folks to see the problems that are happening inside of this facility. So I think that there are some, you know, standard operating procedures that can definitely be implemented. But what we're most, what we're also concerned about is the fact that inside of our jail, pre-trial, folks are sitting for years. And that is not just on the, that's not on the new mayor, that's not on the new congresswoman, that's on the courts, that's on the prosecutor. There are, um, there's been a wrench thrown into the criminal legal system where we're denying people access again to this uh, fair and speedy trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're being held without a bond. Their families are suffering, trying to provide money for commissary, trying to figure out a business schedule uh, and living lives for multiple years without um, that source of income, that source of familial support. And one of the stories that was most heartbreaking was a father who had, who had, um, um, very unstable high blood pressure and had been complaining of chest pains, had been complaining of issues and was not allowed to see a doctor until the doctor came to MSI. They only come a couple days a week um, and then was taken to the hospital and he was talking to his son and his son had been saving his allowance, Sarah, because he wanted to get his dad out of jail. Oh. He's been there for years. This is traumatic, not just on the individuals inside, but on an entire community, because most of them are coming from the same neighborhoods that are historically divested, and their families are left behind and left outside to fend for themselves. 
And so, you know, as I said at the press conference, we're not promoting safety. We are perpetuating harm. The city is definitely perpetuating more harm and trauma. Well, Kayla, when we talk about these long pretrial stays um, on this show, we've actually talked to the public defender's office about this because they're there representing these people. And they have put much of the blame for these long stays on Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner. She was there with you. Um, Do you think this trip to the jail, seeing this, made an impression on her? And is she prepared to make changes within her office? I certainly hope so. You know, I was concerned. I had... I'm not a lawyer, you know, I I am good friends with lawyers. We work deeply with our city defenders, but hearing that folks have been there for years, completely, um, it was, I was shocked. I was like jaw dropped to the floor, shocked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had conversations with Circuit Attorney Gardner inside the jail um, and, you know, around the the length of the length of these trials and, and the reason that there's been a spike in the number of just uh, complete no bonds assigned to folks across charges, not just class A felonies, not just the quote-unquote most egregious violations, but we're seeing folks felony E, felony Ds, no bonds allowed. And this is creating an overpopulation problem, and this is fuel, This is creating, um, a, a, it's worsening the conditions inside of the jail, um, and I'm I'm concerned, and I lifted that up, and I hope that you know hearing those stories firsthand, uh, and I hope that with the you know the new sort of relationship that seems to be built between the, the new mayor and the congressperson and the circuit attorney's office, that, that they can figure out a process to move this quicker. The judges need to move this quicker because the things that we haven't discussed, but that is that is a reality. Is several times that day, in both jails, I talked to folks who were considering taking a plea because they were tired of sitting in jail pre-trial. And that is a fueling tactic of mass incarceration. If we hold you too long or we hold you long enough, you'll say, I'll just take the felony because I'll get time served so I can get the hell out of this jail. Excuse my language. Um, and, And then, or, you know, I'll take the additional time to go to a different facility. But there are literally folks who have not had, um, their court, you know, their trial mm-hmm. before a, their jur- jury or a judge, and they're considering taking um, pleas because they want to get home. And that, to me, is a sign that the system is completely broken and we are doing irreparable harm because we know that these um, that when people take a plea, even if they get time served, their, the, their um, success of, of jobs, employment, uh, education, all of those things are impacted by the fact that they'll now have this felony. And we are living in a city where people are presumed guilty um, and they are being held under that presumption of guilt. Um, and, and that, to me, is a, is a problem because the majority of them, it's a problem, period. And it's even more concerning that we see um, the commonalities that they're coming from these communities, that they're overwhelmingly black, they're overwhelmingly young men, 18, 19 years old, who are sitting in jail for 18 months, 20 months, and deciding to take a felony that will impact them for the rest of their lives. Well, this is such a concerning situation, and I know this is a top of mind for Mayor Jones, as well as um, other leaders who were there, and I know you're going to hold them accountable. So, Kayla Reed, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing what you learned. Yeah, I appreciate you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. 
you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.